You're listening to a rebroadcast of a live walk talk from Instagram. Hey, JF. Hey, Jamie in Oklahoma. Jax, good morning. We got Michigan. All right. In case you're new to my ministry, my name is Matt McMillan. I'm a Christian author. I've written seven books. They're all on Amazon. Check them out if you get some time. We got Augusta, St. Pete, Minnesota, don't you know, Georgia, Dundee, Dallas, California. Hi, Kathy. If you have read any of my books, we got Houston, Georgia, Waco. Please go back to Amazon and leave me a review. So when somebody reads my books, I do receive emails because I have my email address in my books, but they forget to go back and leave me a review. So if you have read them, (laughs) please go leave me a review on Amazon or wherever you purchase the book. We got another Georgia. We got New York. Now, if you are um, listening on the podcast, thank you for listening on the podcast. The name of my podcast is Walk Talks with Matt McMillan. It is available on every podcast platform, so be sure to check it out if you enjoy podcasts or maybe you don't know what a podcast is. It's basically a very convenient way to listen to things because you can just put it on and just go about your day. So some people don't have time to watch videos. Some people don't have time to be on social media or to watch live. But if you go to my podcast, just go to the podcast. You can even just Google podcast in my name and it'll pop up and subscribe to my podcast. And while you're at the gym, while you're at work, if you can listen to podcasts at work, wherever you're at on your drive, um, you can listen to my podcast. And this is the podcast. (laughs) Walk Talks with Matt McMillan. I'm walking and I'm talking, discussing your freedom casually (laughs) as a member of the body of Christ. Um, But the podcast, I'm recording my latest episode live. Good morning, Puerto Rico. Hello, where's everybody else checking in from? If you if you want to watch the podcast be recorded live on Instagram, be sure to go to my Instagram profile and turn on notifications. Now, if you're listening to the podcast, maybe you have been listening for a while. I would like a review from you for the podcast. Pause the podcast if you're in a safe location. Leave me a quick review or a little blurb. I would appreciate that. All right. Now, I'm also on YouTube. If you're watching on YouTube, thank you, because I also reformat the, I also refurbish these <laughs> onto YouTube. Thank you for watching on YouTube. Hit that subscribe button if you want to subscribe. Maybe you're just checking me out. You know, I can understand that as well. Uh, give me a thumbs up if you're enjoying it. A lot of people just watch YouTube and they forget to hit that thumbs up button. Give me a thumbs up. And if you want to be notified whenever I release a new video, a new walk talk on YouTube, hit that bell button. All right, I'm not a pastor. I'm a regular person just like you. I'm going to talk about that in great detail today. Um, I don't know everything. I'm learning and growing just the same as you. I'm going to talk about that in great detail today. And then also, if you want to contact me, please do not message me on social media. I leave that button open for personal relationships. And if you want to contact me, I do welcome your interaction, but go to my website. So when you go to my website, there's a link in the bio. Um, just if you're watching on Instagram, there's a link in the bio. If you're watching on uh, YouTube, there should be a link somewhere on my profile, my YouTube channel. Um, just go to my go to my website, go over to the contact page, send me your message there. All right, I sit down every day, once or twice a day, or every other day, whenever I get time, and I check those messages from my website. All right, that's how you get a hold of me. Now, while you're on my website, be sure to sign up for the free daily devotional. 
If you go over to the free newsletter tab, put in your email address and name, you'll get an email from me early every morning, which I set up every two weeks for the next two weeks. And it is a, it's a devotional that I've written and you'll get it in your inbox early every morning. Now you can also, if you're listening to the podcast, you can actually pause the podcast and I have this as a link in the show notes on all my podcasts as of the point of me recording this, where you can actually just hit that sign up for the free newsletter and you'll get that in your inbox. So pause it, sign up real quick, come back and finish the, the walk talk. All right, so let's get to today's walk talk. And in case you guys wonder why I do that, <laughs> a lot of people skip through the intro after they've been listening to me for a while and they wait for that little, let's get to today's walk talk, so I can get to, the ta- to today's message. That's the cue for it. <laughs> so let's get to today's walk talk. Did the reformers actually reform the church? Part two. And I'm in my 40s, early 40s. I'm an 80s kid. <laughs> so a lot of the stuff from the 80s, the uh, action, the, the karate movies, you know, they would always say, part one, part two. So that's where I get that from, just in case you're wondering. Just in case you're like, why does he say it like that? <laughs> Did the reformers actually reform the church? Part two. Now, if you didn't listen to part one, you're going to need, need to go back and listen to part one in order to understand part two completely. You don't have to, but if you want to, you can. If you want to understand what I was mentioning in part one in regard to how the reformers were correct. So in part one of this, I went over the five ways the reformers were correct in reforming the church according to the Bible. So I gave them props, okay? So many people think I I attack a certain denomination, I don't, or I attack a different denomination, I don't. I am an equal opportunity good news bearer. And sometimes the good news just does not match up with tradition, whether it's from early church father tradition or from Martin Luther's tradition. So if we just go back to the Bible and compare what happened with the early church fathers and also compare what happened in the 16th century with the reformers, we can kind of understand why things are like they are today. Because what we're seeing everywhere, 99.9% of what we see, it's not in the Bible. And the reason why we see this is because of tradition. And Jesus warned against tradition. Paul warned against tradition. Tradition has a fine way of setting aside everything our creator ultimately wants for us. So the reformers, and again, I'm not going to go over all of these things about if you don't know what a reformer is or the reformation, please listen to my past, I don't know, 8, 10, 11, 12 walk talks. I've been going over church history in great detail, so I'm not going to do that again. But the, the uh, original church fathers had established what they believed was true, but it was not according to scripture. Well, then Martin Luther came along about the 16th century and he established the Reformation, the Protestant movement. And Martin Luther said that you Catholics are wrong. This is where you're wrong. And we are right. This is where we are right. Now, he wrote out 95 things of why he disagreed. I talked about five things and I didn't even pick from that list. 
on my last walk talk. But as I study this, I make lists. I'm a, I'm a list maker. I'm a note taker. So when I went over the five points that I agreed with in regard to how the reformers reformed the church, I picked five. Yes, there's more. But, you know, it's just not a, a 10-hour walk talk. I can't go over all of them. So if you want to watch that, be sure to go back to part one and be sure to catch up. Because today I'm going to talk about five things the reformers were incorrect about according to the Bible. All right. Now, um, are there more than five where they're incorrect? Yes. Error is error. and <laughs> Truth is truth. So I'm not trying to be the person who picks everything apart. I'm just trying to find out why do we see what we see today in our modern church? Because what we see today in our modern church is not in the Bible. And I went over that in the past walk talk in regard to the reformers compared to what they did, which was in the Bible. But today I'm going to dive deep into five things that they established, which are not in the Bible. However, we practice these every day, especially on a day like today, which is Sunday. Okay, so check that out. Check out part one. Um, and again, full disclaimer, I want to say from the beginning, I love you guys. I'm never trying to attack anybody, but I understand that sometimes people can take this as an attack. So I actually want to say that to you, that I'm not trying to attack you. I'm not trying to um, change anything you do. I'm not trying to get you to start doing anything. My goal is to unearth the easiness of the gospel so that you can enjoy your freedom even more. You are still free. <laughs> You're still free to do certain things, okay? But when I talk about freedom, people take these things as an attack because sometimes the freedom is actually greater than what they are practicing. And when you hear about this freedom, which came through Christ, you could take that as an attack. You know, I posted on Facebook yesterday that priests do not have the ability to forgive sins based on John 20. And I said, John 20, these were not priests. These were regular people. And it wasn't even them who had the ability to forgive the sins. It was their message. So, you know, some people took that personally, but I didn't say it in a way to attack but actually to, to point out that it is Christ and it is the message about Christ that gives them the power to say you are forgiven. Okay, and then some people say, well, we don't think that priests forgive us. Well, that is error because according to Catholicism's pr Catholicism, priests have the power to forgive sins. That is a fact according to Catholicism. And then those who will say, no, that's not true. They will say priests are standing as a mediator between you and Jesus. Okay. That is also error. We do not need a mediator. There's only one mediator between us and our creator is Jesus. And we don't need a mediator between us and Jesus. Priests are never mentioned in the New Testament as a mediator between humans and Jesus. Priests are never mentioned in the New Testament as someone who has the ability to forgive you your sins or any type of 
thing that Jesus can do, such as forgive sins and also cause you to become righteous. But when you hear this, it's so freeing and it takes your focus off of the individual person. But you see this tradition that's been happening for a very long time. And you know what? Judaism was around 1,500 years before Christ came. Think about how the apostles felt as they started telling all the Jews, oh no, you don't have to go to the temple to receive forgiveness. It's once and for all time through Jesus. Think how they felt as that tradition, those commandments were being set aside for Christ. But yet today we say these things about these errors of the traditions of men in regard to priests. And we are treated as if we're attacking people. We're not. You know, Paul was, <laughs> Paul was, they said in uh, the book of Acts that Paul had gone mad with all of his knowledge because of all these things that he knew. No, he just knew about Jesus. That's why Paul said, I wish to know nothing among you except for Christ. So that is my ultimate goal. So if you're watching this and you, you know, you're, you practice Catholicism or maybe you really practice what Martin Luther set up and you probably do more than likely because that is the majority in America. I love you. Okay. I love you. This is not an attack. All right. Now, a couple things I want to recommend a podcast in case you want to know more about this kind of stuff. Um, a church, excuse me, the Unsunday show with Mike Adams. Check that podcast out. He's a friend of mine. A couple books I will recommend is A Church Building Every Half Mile by John Zins. Another book I'll recommend is Pagan Christianity by Frank Viola and George Barna. These are not church bashing books. This is not a church bashing, bashing podcast. This is not a Catholic bashing uh, walk talk. This is not a, those things that I've recommend are not Catholic bashers or pastor bashers or church bashers. All they do is talk about the roots of the tradition compared to what the Bible actually teaches us. And they say, where is it? <laughs> okay. And that's what I'm going to do today. So be sure to check out part one of did the reformers actually reform the church because I gave them some, some kudos for five ways that they actually did. But today I'm going to talk about five ways the reformers did not reform the church according to the Bible. And before I do that, I need to make a correction from my last walk talk because I always go back and proof listen to these walk talks just to make sure, of course, I made my points that I wanted to make. And if I notice anything where I had a thought and then said it before I actually thought the thought, I'll try to remember to correct it the next time. So I said in regard to Jesus saying, it will not be like this among you. You will not lord over one another. I said Matthew 20 and Matthew 10. He did not say that in Matthew 10. He said that in Matthew 20 and Mark 10. And then I also said Peter tried to cut the guy's ear off. And I said that a few times. Peter did cut the guy's ear off. <laughs> My point was, he wasn't just trying to cut the guy's ear off. Remember, Jesus, tr uh, Peter tried to stop Jesus from going to the cross. And Jesus said, get behind me, Satan. So he tried to stop Jesus being arrested. So <laughs> we get, we put all these emphasis on the, <laughs> on Peter, but Peter was a regular man, just like me, just like you. And yes, Peter was awesome, but I, I, you know, and he did a lot to get this message out there. But I just want to point out the Bible teaches us that Peter was a regular person, just like me, just like you fallible. 
trying to do the work that only Christ could do. Struggling with covenant mixture error, but was still saved. Made many, many mistakes. So <laughs> Peter did cut the guy's ear off. <laughs> um, all right. So did the reformers actually reform the church part two? So here are the five. So I'm going to list the five. I got five points again today. I like points. Sometimes I do three. Sometimes I do five. Um, but I'm going to list the five and it's super windy today. I don't know if you guys can tell or not, but I have my hand towel at the bottom of the phone over the microphone. Hopefully you cannot tell. Um, but I'm still going to speak a little bit louder today and a little bit closer just in case you cannot hear me. Um, but the five points I want to make today, number one, in regard to how the reformers were incorrect, according to the Bible. All right. Number one, they replaced the priest and the altar table with the pastor and the pulpit. So I'm going to re repeat these just so you can comprehend them before I go to the next one. So number one, I repeat. And I'm going to list these out, and then I'm going to talk about all five. All right. Number one, they replaced the priest and the altar table with the pastor and the pulpit. Okay. That is error according to scripture. I'm going to talk about it. So hang on. <laughs> Number two, they said everyone is now a minister but they did not allow everybody to minister. All right, so number two, this is the second way they were incorrect. They said everyone is now a minister, but they did not allow everybody to minister. <laughs> All right, number three, they said, you cannot know the will of God unless you hear a pastor preach a sermon. Number three, this is how they were incorrect. You cannot know the will of God unless you hear a pastor preach a sermon. And of course, weekly was typically how it was done. All right, number four, the fourth way they were incorrect. And I'm going to break these down. So if you're like, this cannot be right, you're wrong. Hang on. <laughs> I'm going to break each one down and talk about this stuff in the Bible of where it's not there and then compare it actually to what the truth is. All right, so number four, they said only an ordained minister can preach, baptize, or administer communion. All right, this is the fourth error. Only an ordained minister can preach, baptize, or administer communion. Okay? And then number four, they said, this is the fourth error, a pastor must be academically trained in order to fulfill their role. Number five, I think I said five. This is the fifth error. The fifth error of the reformers in regard to them actually reforming the church. This is the fifth error. There are more, but I just listed five today. The fifth error. Pastors have to be academically trained in order to fulfill their role. All right, so let's talk about these. So let's get to number one. The first error of the reformers the reformers replaced the priest and the altar table with a pastor and a pulpit. So when Martin Luther came along, um, he, he was um, uh, in staunch opposition to the person with the title of priest being in charge. 
He said, this is not in the New Testament. We cannot find anybody named priest in charge of anything in the New Testament. And I agree with that. So according to Catholicism, the priest was pretty much the monarch, the person in charge, the top dog on the hierarchy, the clergy. All right. Now, the priest was also called pastor, but not much. The priest was also called pope, bishop, presbyter, elder, deacon. These were all priests. Okay. Now, they also had what's called an altar table. At this altar table, this was the pinnacle of the Catholic mass, the church service, the liturgy. And on this altar table, you would receive the body and blood of Jesus Christ to receive more forgiveness. You would literally consume this and this priest could literally, yes, literally, I know it literally means turn through some type of magic. Yes, even magic because Gregory the Great was a pagan monk and he mixed magic into the mass. Okay. So they believed that this person could literally, not symbolically, literally turn body, turn the blood, turn the bread and wine into the body and blood of Jesus. I talked about this in great detail in the last walk talk. I'm not getting into that today. But this happened at what's called the altar table. And it was called the Eucharist, which is also the Lord's Supper or communion. And Martin Luther said, nope, the altar table is incorrect. You got to have a pulpit. So basically, <laughs> Martin Luther came along and he, he replaced the priest with a pastor. He replaced the altar table with a pulpit. And he said, boom, these are the center of the church. Boom, these are the center of the church service, the liturgy. Liturgy is another word for church service. So before this, there was no church service. According to scripture, there is no church service. That's hard to compute as well because the church service started with the early church fathers. They created that. Okay. And then Martin Luther had his spinoff of it at the Reformation and created his version of church service. So when we go to the Bible, do we see any church service where you meet it? 9 and 11.30 or 9 and 11 or whatever. And then you walk in and you shake hands and you listen to music. And then there's preaching and then the plate is passed. And then there's more music. And then somebody, you could do an altar call or all of these different things. And then you leave. Do we see that in the Bible? We do not. <laughs> okay. So when we go to the Bible, there's only one part of the Bible that describes our gatherings. Just one, only one, any other section that would be us superimposing our view of church service onto the scriptures because of our ancestors, our relatives, those who have been practicing this tradition. Because according to the Bible, there's only one part of the Bible that lists church service, an actual detailed account of what it looks like when they get together. Only one part. One. Is it Ephesians 4? No. No church service is mentioned in Ephesians whatsoever. That is everyday life. This These groups were in individual cities. This one was in Ephesus. 
This is about everyday life. It has nothing to do with gathering. What about Romans? We see Romans 12. It looks like there's some stuff going on there. It says nothing about the gatherings. Again, that is everyday life. Work, play, at home, by yourself, interacting with believers, interacting with unbelievers. It is not church service. There is no church service. According to the Bible, Hebrews 10, 25, they didn't go to church. These were the Hebrews. They went to the temple. The first church building wasn't even erected until over 100 years later. Remember the Sabbath to keep it holy? That is one of the Ten Commandments. They didn't go to church. What did they do? The Sabbath was, first of all, it was on Saturday. <laughs> Not on Sunday. But even then, you have died to all of those commandments so that you can live for Christ, according to Romans 6, Galatians 3. So I wanted to say that before I continue with this because we think of a church service, which there is no church service. 1 Corinthians 11 through 14 is the only part of the Bible that describes our gatherings. That's it. That's it. <laughs> Does it say they gathered at uh, twice on a Sunday morning and then on Sunday evening and then on Wednesday? No. Now, some people will say, oh, based on Acts 20, that's when they met and that's church service. No, that was just a convenient day of the week for them to meet. This doesn't say anything about any type of church service or liturgy or any detailed list of what happens when they come together. It just says they got together. That's it. <laughs> every other section of the Bible. Yes, every other section of the Bible. All of them. Tradition will teach you differently. Because they want this to be in the Bible. But Martin Luther comes along and says, nope, you Catholics are wrong. Nobody's a priest. We are all members of a royal priesthood. The pastor is the center of the church service. And the pastor has to be in a pulpit, on a stage, or in front of people. And that's the deal. Not a priest, not the altar table, but a pastor in a pulpit. So let's go to the Bible and look for that. Did Martin Luther establish this pastor pulpit liturgy based on scripture? Negative. Not one part of the New Testament or the Old Testament do we ever see indications for us to go to a building to hear somebody with the title of pastor in a pulpit do anything. As a matter of fact, the word pulpit is only used once in the Bible, in the Old Testament. Does a pastor get up in a pulpit and preach weekly? No, it happened once. Was that person a pastor? No. Did that person give commentary? No, they read the book of the law once. So this is not proof text for saying, nope, right here, here's a pulpit. You got to go. You got to listen to pastor. Even in the Old Testament, a pastor never preached we never see that. The word pastor is only used once in the New Testament. And the word pastor is used in a plural form in the New Testament. So what is a pastor? That is another word for shepherd. Some translations don't even say pastor. It says shepherd. So if you want to know what the pastoral gift is, look at what Jesus did. He is the good shepherd. Did he ever punish anybody? No. But he always loved them, taught them, and he could oversee a group. 
That is the pastoral gift. But because of what Martin Luther did, when we think of a pastor, we think of a person in a pulpit preaching. We even call them preacher. But yet in the New Testament, do we ever see a pastor and the word preacher together? Never. We never even see any description of what a pastor does. We see no qualifications. We see no authority. We see nobody with the title of pastor in a pulpit. Preaching. Some people say, oh no, I got you, McMillan. It's an elder. An elder is the same thing. No, it's not. The Greek word for pastor is poimenos. Or poimenes, however you want to pronounce it. The Greek word for elder is presbyteros. <laughs> They're not the same thing. We only see poimenas once. In Ephesians chapter 4, that's it. So if that's the case, <laughs> an elder should be in a pulpit preaching a sermon. Oh, they're the same thing. No, they're not. Presbyteros is not a gift. Presbyteros is a description. Presbyteros is somebody older in any particular faith. Poimenos is a spiritual gift of shepherding. But yet Martin Luther said, I'm going to establish the spinoff from the Catholic Church and the pastor preaching from a pulpit is the deal. It's error, according to the Bible. Because we don't see that in any New Testament letter. Not once. And when we go to the section of Scripture where we see the actual gathering described, the word pastor is not even in that book, in that letter to the Corinthians. This was an error from Martin Luther. Martin Luther just changed the word priest to pastor. It's the same thing. It still has the top-down authority. And Jesus said, it will never be like this among you. The Gentiles lord over one another this way. You guys are all brothers and sisters. Therefore, there is no hierarchy. There is no top-down structure in the body of Christ. The ecclesia is a group. Paul told the Colossians, Christ is the head of the body, the church, not pastor, not elder, not deacon, not Christian author, Christian podcaster, any, any particular title you want to have, we are equals. That's why I always say I'm a regular person just like you. We are the same. I'm a vital member. You're a vital member. When we go to 1 Corinthians 11 through 14, what do we see? Everybody being encouraged to share. Everybody being encouraged to rejoice with those who are honored, suffer with those who are suffering, loving one another, eating meals, waiting for everybody to get there, stop judging one another, stop binge eating, stop binge drinking, wait for everybody. Screwed up humanity getting together is what it is. And that's not what we see today. We see liturgy. All right. All right. So, uh, number two, the second way the reformers were incorrect. They said, and this is number two of the list of five, everybody is now a minister, yet they didn't allow everybody to minister. It's double talking the finest. <laughs> so... <laughs> Uh, 
they said we are all members of a royal priesthood. And that was their rebuttal against saying individual people have the title of priests which have power. They said, nope, we're all members. We are all members of a royal priesthood, and that was based on something that Peter said, 1 Peter 2. And that's true. There are not individual priests with power who have a top-down authority system according to the Bible. It is error 100%. It is not there. So Martin Luther and John Calvin and the other reformers, they said, nope, we all can minister. We all can minister but they only let the pastor minister. They still had a top-down authority system. They even said women can't be pastors <laughs> after coming up with this error of what a pastor is. They said women can't be preachers after saying a preacher is a pastor. Yet when we go to the Bible, the word preacher never describes a pastor. When we go to the Bible, Paul says we are all competent to minister. What does that mean? <laughs> he said you're all competent to minister the new covenant. He told the Corinthians this. You guys are all competent to minister the new covenant. Not the letter, which was the law of Moses, the 613 commandments. So when somebody gets on stage as a pastor air quotes, and then says, obey the Ten Commandments or, or obey these Old Testament commandments, they are not competent to preach that. Only those who are ministering the new covenant. What is the new covenant? Jesus. This is why Jesus said, this is the blood of the covenant in my name. So when I am competent to minister the new covenant, I am telling you, you are completely forgiven because of the blood. You are completely righteous because of the resurrection. That is what we are all competent to minister. Both sides of the coin of the gospel. Jesus completely forgave you once and for all time through his blood. But not only that, you're also righteous. Oh, there's not one righteous. I understand that is an unbeliever though. See what we do? We go back to ministering the ministry of death and condemnation, Paul calls it. What is the ministry of death and condemnation? The law. What is the law? 613 commandments according to the old covenant. 10 of which are the 10 commandments. And nobody was righteous according to the law. That's why Paul said there is none righteous in the early on in Romans. But then he continues. You receive the gift of righteousness by grace through faith. See what we do? So... If somebody tells you you are not righteous, there's none righteous. It is as if it is only in Christ that you might be righteous. They're not competent to preach that. That is the ministry of death and condemnation. But if you are not up on stage and you're at work or at play, say you're playing around a golf with a buddy or, you know, you're having dinner with a friend and they are really struggling with something that they're dealing with and you remind them, no, you're righteous. Yeah, but I'm struggling. Yeah, but you're still righteous. Yeah, but this is a really long, bad struggle. Yeah, but you're righteous. What made you righteous? Second Corinthians 5.21. He became sin so you could become righteous. 
and you did. And you received this gift of righteousness by grace through faith once. That is what you're competent to minister, my friend. You watching this, listen to this. You can, you are completely competent to minister the new covenant. When you make a big deal of the cross and the resurrection, you are fully competent to preach. You are fully competent to teach. You are fully competent to minister. Only this are you competent to do. Jesus. Martin Luther didn't like that. John Calvin didn't like that. The other reformers didn't like that. They said, nope. Yeah, you guys are all competent. Or you guys are all ministers. We're all ministers. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We're all ministers. But only a pastor can truly minister. And we don't see that in the Bible. <laughs> Not one time. Only a pastor can preach. What We don't see that anywhere in the Bible. Our minds are superimposed with that. A pastor is never described as a preacher. A preacher is never described as a pastor. The word preach, when we even see the word preach in scripture, because of our relatives and because of the past 500 years of everybody practicing what the Reformation established, even when we see the word preach, we think church, we think a stage, we think somebody up front, we think somebody other than you. But it's you. It's you. You get to preach. The word preach simply means speak. And sometimes you preach without even saying anything. Every time you express Christ, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, self-control, keeping no records of anybody's wrongs, delighting in the truth, not in evil, outdoing one another in honor, blessing those who curse you. That is how you preach. Not according to what Martin Luther set up. And you guys are going to have to bear with me. I'm going to put the phone down for just a moment. My shoe is untied. This has happened a couple times in the past. So bear with me. <laughs> oh, if you're listening on the podcast, sorry. This is a... Uh... Do a praise break or something. And we're back! Okay. All right, let's go on. Let's go on to number three. Now I'm going to talk about number two for just a, just another second. Preaching is just so twisted by what Martin Luther came up with. You preach all the time. Okay. It doesn't have to do with the stage. We never see that in the Bible. We never see anybody preaching from a pulpit on a stage, named pastor, named elder, named anything. Martin Luther came up with this error. John Calvin then created places of study, which taught this error. 
the Puritans, and I'm going to talk about them in great detail here in the future, or here in this number five, the Puritans studied under John Calvin, and then guess who came over here to America with this message? <laughs> yeah, the Puritans. Hello? All right, number three. The third error of did the Reformation, or did the Reformers actually reform the church? The third error, they said, you cannot know the will of God unless you hear a pastor preach a sermon. You cannot even know the will of God unless you hear a pastor preach a sermon. Whoa. Oh, wow. Well, man, I guess I need to go hear a pastor preach a sermon. What's funny is, the word sermon is not even in the Bible. <laughs> even me saying that, you're like, eh, it's got to be there. Everybody gives sermons on a Sunday. Oh, the Sermon on the Mount. I got you, McMillan, right here, the Sermon on the Mount. The words sermon in the, on the Mount are not in the Bible. That is a subheading entered by the publisher who were influenced by Martin Luther and Calvinism. <laughs> You do not have to hear a monologue from a person once a week in order to know the will of God. When we go to the Bible, do we ever see a pastor preaching a sermon? Nope. Again, sermon's not there. <laughs> the word sermon is not in the Bible. So where do we come up with these sermons? Sermons were created by the Greek philosophers named sophists. Sermon is another word for Greek rhetoric. 500 years before Jesus lived, these sophists began giving monologues, typically at a location, typically on a certain schedule, and they gave their opinion in great oration and they were very eloquent very handsome and they would even be paid and applauded and people would leave just inspired and motivated by this sermon that was just given by a sophist and then 150 years before jesus the romans overtook the greeks and the romans commingled this into their culture and then here we have it all of these early church fathers who are greek greco greco-roman philosophers giving sermons based on their culture clement of alexandria who was one of the first early church fathers he got it right when he said sermons are a bad thing for the body of christ Sermons are a bad thing for the body of Christ. Why is that? Well, I can't know God. You, you would think. You would think that's the truth. Because we see it so practiced by so many people with this tradition. But what does the Bible say? Does the Bible ever, ever say, you cannot know the will of God unless you hear a sermon? Nope. <laughs> does it say, you cannot know the will of God unless you hear a pastor preach a sermon on a regular basis from a pulpit at a church? Nope. This was Martin Luther's idea. 
It started back in the, let's see, the third century, fourth century. The early church fathers. Augustine was a Greek sophist turned Christian. Christostom was a Greek sophist turned Christian. And they were really good at giving sermons. And before the Eucharist had the primary position of the Catholic Mass, it was the sermon. And it was really good sermons. Now they had something new to have an argument about on stage with the straw men while everybody watched passively in the crowd. That's where it came from. But then as time went on, Gregory the, Greg, Gregory the Great solidified the Catholic Mass. He took the sermons, put it down here. On the Catholic liturgy, the sermon's not the best part of the Catholic liturgy, according to Gregory the Great. The Eucharist is communion, literally re-sacrificing Jesus again and again, even though Jesus said, it's finished. That's where the sermon came from. And then Martin Luther and John Calvin, they studied these church fathers. They studied these Greek people who gave sermons of rhetoric and they loved it. They were basically Christian speeches and all you get to do is sit there, shut up and watch. What does the Bible say in the book of 1 Corinthians? Everybody gets a chance to take a turn. Everybody gets to say what they want to say. But do it in order. That's what the Bible teaches us. We never see anybody give a sermon in the Bible. So if you have something to get up and say, you get to say it. If I have something to say, I should get to say it. But I need to do it while expressing Christ. I don't need to be argumentative. I don't need to be aggressive. I need to love everybody. And then once I get finished saying what I need to say, you can say what you want to say according to what I just said. That is what the Bible teaches us. It does not teach us that you cannot know the will of God unless you hear a pastor preach a sermon on a Sunday from a pulpit. That is from Martin Luther. That is from John Calvin. And it is a spinoff of Catholicism. It is, it's not in the Bible. It is completely absent from all biblical text. So the will of God, which is Christ, was snuffed out through sermons. Because now you became addicted to hearing the sermon of a pastor in a pulpit. And you don't think you can know crap about God unless you hear this person say something. A monologue weekly from an individual saying something in an aggressive way or scary way or, or entertaining way or whatever way. And they say, this is in the Bible. You got to go there. You got to listen. You got to sit down and shut up. You cannot interact. <laughs> As a matter of fact, Martin Luther said this, those who interrupt during service, they should be put to death. That's how important he saw this new king in the church. Not the priest king. The pastor king. You interrupt, you should be put to death. Whether he put people to death. No. But that's what he said. You don't get to talk. 
right, Pastor. I got elders over here. They'll see you to the door. Yeah, but I got a question. This is all from Martin Luther. Because our gatherings, which are only listed in Scripture, in 1 Corinthians 11 through 14, we see none of this. We see none of this. And the past 500 years, we have just said, oh, this is in the Bible. It's not in the Bible. It is Protestantism. It is a spinoff of Catholicism. It is not the church that Jesus said he was going to build. The ecclesia, which was built on this is Jesus, the Messiah, the Christ, the son of the living God. It is man-made tradition. Martin Luther completely ignored everything that the Bible taught about how the body of Christ was supposed to function as a family, as a group. Spontaneity, group participation being encouraged. Me getting to use my gift, you getting to use your gift, and us all just encouraging one another, edifying one another, consoling one another. We don't have that today. And we haven't had it for nearly 2,000 years. Because of the early church fathers and because of the Reformation. Even in the New Covenant camp. I can see why some of the people in the New Covenant camp don't want to talk about this because their entire structure is also set up on what Martin Luther established. A king in the New Covenant church. Oh, the great and all-powerful know-it-all. I can't know nothing unless I hear this person say something. What does this person's answer have to be? My hero. They don't want to talk about this either because group participation is not encouraged there. <laughs> it's still... A monarch. It is still a pastor which was created by Martin Luther and it is ignoring everything in scripture and they're never wrong. They know everything. Absolutely everything. Their entire structure is set up on I know it all. It's no different. <laughs> it's reformed theology with a new covenant cap on. They don't want to talk about it. They don't want to go back to the roots. I'll do it. I don't care. <laughs> Call me a black sheep. Makes no difference to me. I'm not here to puff anybody up. I'm not here to sound like other people. I'm here to be me. That's what I got to do. All right. Number. Number four. Sorry. I had these five memorized, <laughs> scanning my mental Rolodex here. Number four, the fourth error of how the Reformation was incorrect, according to the Bible, only ordained ministers can preach, baptize, or administer communion, the Lord's Supper. Only ordained ministers can preach, baptize, administer communion. So first of all, do we see this in the Bible once? Just once. Let's try to find it once. Nope. Not a one. Not a one. 
I don't care if it's in the Bible. I'm still doing it. Okay, you're free. You're, you're still free to think you have to go to a pastor in order to hear them preach or in order to baptize you or in order to hand you a saltine cracker and some Welch's. You're still free to do that. But when we go to the Bible, do we ever see an ordained minister doing any of these things? Nope. Do we even see an ordained minister? Nope. Do we even see the word ordain in the New Testament? Nope. The most up-to-date translations do not say ordain. Says appoint. Why? Because ordination is a ceremony of bestowing power. Ordination began with Constantine, who was the emperor of Rome, and he took ordination of public Roman officials and took priests and gave them ordination in the same manner. You are bestowed with power. You are now a priest unto God. You are now an angel in the priesthood. You can now administer sacraments. You can now forgive men their sins. You can now... It was official. You are ordained. A public ceremony. This is, this is set in stone. Ordination. Priests were ordained before Martin Luther. And Martin Luther's like, nope, nope, nope. You got to be an ordained pastor. Ordained minister. Do we ever see anybody receiving ordination? No. <laughs> no. Nowhere in the New Testament. Nowhere. The only people who are ordained is in the Old Testament and it was the Levitical priest so that they could do the Levitical priest work at the temple. And they are obsolete and out of work. <sighs> no. Jesus put them in the unemployment line. And even when they were ordained in the Old Testament, that did not give them any power. They had to offer blood for the forgiveness of their sins before they could even do it at the temple. They could not even sit down in the temple because the work was never done. Yet Hebrews chapter 1 says Christ, after providing purifications for sin, sat down. Christ finished all of the work that the ordained priest from the Old Testament was ordained to do. We don't see anybody on this side of the cross ordained with any type of power, much less a minister. We only see the word minister about 10 times in the New Testament, and it is never listed as a title or a position. It is listed as what they were doing. The word minister means to meet somebody's needs. Pastors are never listed as a minister. Pastors never met anybody's needs. Pastor never gave a sermon in a pulpit on a Sunday ministering to a congregation that is all absent from the Bible. This is Martin Luther's idea and John Calvin setting up places of study with these ideas. And then people's studying Calvinism. Again, you're competent to minister. You're competent to meet the needs of those who are struggling with condemnation, 
You are competent to preach and meet the needs of others through your ministering of what Christ accomplished at the cross. You're completely forgiven. You know, John chapter 20 right here, you know, they want to say this is where they were given the power to forgive people their sins. They did not have any power to forgive people of their sins. It is the same thing I'm doing right now. I'm preaching and I'm saying, because of Jesus, you are completely forgiven. Am I forgiving you? No, I'm telling you that is the message and that you are forgiven if you've trusted in him. That's it. That's ministering. You don't have to be ordained. You don't need it. You get to be yourself. You get to wake up every day and be you. Your personality, your gifts, your talent, your quirks, your mistakes, your past, everything together. Just all mixed up together with Christ and boom, there you have it. You are ministering the new covenant to everybody and you are fully competent to do this. Because of Christ in you. Because of his spirit in you. All right. Number five. Pastors have to be academically trained in order to fulfill their role. So this is the fifth error. I'm going to repeat it so you can soak it in. (laughs) Pastors have to be academically trained in order to fulfill their role. Again, do we see this in the Bible? No. As a matter of fact, Paul said, I may not be a trained speaker, but I have knowledge. I may not be trained. What was this knowledge? Jesus! It is Jesus! That is all you need to know! (laughs) Many times people are academically trained and they have no clue who Jesus ultimately is. They know about Jesus, but they don't know Jesus and he doesn't know them. They know academics. And who did Jesus pick originally? Did he pick the scribes? I mean, after all, the scribes could literally, yes, literally transcribe the Torah. They could write it all out. Extremely academically trained. Did he pick the scribes? No. Did he pick the Pharisees? No, they knew all the stuff. (laughs) Sadducees, the teachers of the law, the lawyer, they knew all of the stuff, all of the commandments. They know it all. Trained, academically trained. No. Who'd he pick? People like me people like you regular people fishermen people who work for the government prostitutes drunkards crazy people (laughs) women women The first evangelist was a woman. No academic training. Regular people were picked by Jesus. 
But yet because of Martin Luther and John Calvin, who then set up schools and then taught things at those places of study. Calvin did this, not Martin. Everybody studied Calvinism, which was pastors in charge, Sunday sermon, pulpit, get up and go to church, obey your pastor, tithe to be blessed, read your Bible, stop sinning, all of these things. Even me saying this, you're you're probably like, what's wrong with this stuff? It's not in the Bible according to the new covenant. You would have to handpick all of these different things and then throw it in a bucket and mix it all up in order to come up with it. And that's exactly what the reformers did. Nobody was academically trained. The Bible says nothing about that. The Bible says nothing about a pastor needing to be academically trained or me or you or anybody. As a matter of fact, the first seminary wasn't even established until the 18th century. So how did we know God until then? How was a pastor able to fulfill their duties until this seminary was established? (laughs) The way we have always known God from the beginning of time is his spirit. His spirit. The Bible backs up the spirit. The spirit doesn't back up the Bible. The spirit came first. So the Puritans who sat under Calvinism, they even said this, the pastor is a permanent fixture in the house of God. Where is that in the Bible? Nowhere. As a matter of fact, Hebrews chapter three says, you are the house of God, not a church building, not a physical location, but you and me. Paul told the Corinthians, you are the temple of the Holy Spirit. As Paul had to see all of these pagan temples around him. This is in Corinth. Greeks. Pagan worship galore. (laughs) And unfortunately, the Puritans who were Calvinists set sail to America. (laughs) And um, here we have it. Calvinism galore with the building, which that started with the Catholics. But Calvinism is pastor. Calvinism is pulpit. Calvinism is you can't know the will of God unless you hear a pastor preach a sermon. Calvinism is you're going to go to hell if you don't, don't get up and go to church and stop sinning. Calvinism, all of these things, none of it's in the Bible. It's all cherry pick stuff and add it to. All right. So did the reformers actually reform the church? Not in these five ways. (laughs) Some ways they did, other ways they did not. The church, the original church, never needed to be reformed. What is the church? Christ in you and through you and with you. You expressing yourself every second of the day with Christ. Not for an hour on a Sunday. Not thinking you got to go somewhere to do something or go somewhere to start something or stop something. 
It is Christ in you, your hope of glory. The church that was established, that Jesus talked about in Matthew chapter 16, is built on that revelation. Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of the living God. Once you understand that, he joins you, one spirit. One spirit with the Lord. And then from then on out, you're good to go. You're a brand new creation. And you're going to live your life figuring this out until the next 50, 60, 70 years are up. However long we get here on planet Earth. And then on to the the big show. (laughs) So, what they originally set up is incorrect because it's a lot easier it's a lot more burden free it's a lot lighter and it is everyday life with christ using your gifts to serve others being yourself realizing there's nothing wrong with you and that you're completely forgiven and completely righteous all of the stuff that christ originally established that's it All right, guys. So I hope this two-part series has encouraged you today. I hope it's brought to light maybe some errors about the Reformation. Um, If you want to dive deeper into this stuff, if this is your first Walk Talk, check out some of my past Walk Talks. I've been talking quite a bit about this. So always tell the truth about yourself. What's the truth? You are righteous. You're holy. You're blameless. You're a new creation. You're a child of God. There's nothing wrong with you. And you are awesome. So always tell the truth about yourself. Always be yourself. Love y'all. Bye. Thanks so much for joining me on this Walk Talk. Please be sure to rate and review this podcast and share it with others. Subscribe right now so you don't miss out on any new content. To be encouraged daily, you can find me on TikTok, Instagram, and Facebook. If you want even more information on my ministry, or to check out my books, go to www.mattmcmillan.com.